Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the History Desk. I'm Jonathan. Before we get started with this week's topic, I want to apologize for how long it took for more episodes and to get to the second part of the French and Indian War. I live in Louisiana and am currently pursuing my master's in history. Hurricane Ida pushed my schoolwork back to the point I was not able to produce any new contact, but now I'm all caught up with school and I'm ready to get back to producing the contact that we talked about. In the last episode, we discussed the causes of the French and Indian War between England and France, owing much to the want of each nation to control the Ohio Territory and the fur trade. Today we'll talk about the war itself, the different campaigns from each nation, and the major battles. In 1755, the British formed an aggressive plan of battle for the campaign to come. Their overall goals were to have General Braddock lead an expedition to Fort Duquesne, while at the same time having Massachusetts Governor William Shirley fortifying Fort Oswego and attacking Fort Niagara. Sir William Johnson was to capture Fort St. Frederick at Crown Point, New York, and Lieutenant Colonel Robert Monckton was to capture Fort Bourgeois to the east on the frontier between Nova Scotia and Acadia. General Braddock led 1,500 army troops and provincial militia on which would be called the Braddock Expedition in June of 1755 to take Fort Duquesne with General George Washington as one of his aides. The expedition would become a disaster. His troops would be attacked by French regulars, Canadian militia, and Indian warriors who would set up ambushes from hiding places in trees and behind densely logged areas. Braddock would be forced to call a retreat in the face of these attacks by French forces. Braddock would be killed on July 13th of 1755. In addition, 1,000 of his soldiers would either be killed or wounded. The remaining 500 soldiers would retreat to Virginia, led by George Washington. During the retreat, both Washington and Thomas Gage would play key roles in organizing the remaining men and getting them to safety. Following the news of Braddock's defeat and his death, the British government initiated plans to increase their military capacity in preparation for a larger war with Parliament's new session in November of 1755. Among the legislation crafted for the effort was the Recruiting Act of 1756, which was focused on speedily and effectively recruiting land and marine forces to the Royal Army, the Commissions to Foreign Protestants Act of 1756, which allowed for the granting of commissions to a number of foreign Protestants who had served the crown abroad and ranks of engineers and officers in America only under restrictions. This would create the Royal American Regiment. The Navigation Act of 1756, which dealt with the better supply of marine and naval vessels in the Royal Navy. The Continuance Act of 1756, which extended the Royal Navy's power to operate on rivers, lakes, and the American colonies, and how those crews would be made up. With the proclamation of war on May 17th, England passed the Naval Prize Act of 1756, which allowed the capture of enemy ships and established privateering. After the failure of Braddock's expedition, the other British advances fared little brother. better. French forces acquired a copy of British plans, which included the plans of Shirley and Johnston. Shirley's efforts to fortify Oswego were hampered by logistic difficulties and also by his inexperience in managing such a large campaign. When he was aware of a French plan to attack Oswego while 
he was away planning to f attack Fort Niagara, he decided to leave a garrison at Fort Oswego along with Fort Bull, Fort Williams, and two more located on the Oneida Carry between the Mohawk River and Wood Creek in Rome, New York. The supplies for the attack on Fort Niagara were cached at Fort Bull. Johnson's expedition was better organized, causing it to take the notice of New Francis Governor Marquis de Vendurel. The governor had been concerned the extended supply lines of the forts in, Hawaii, in the Ohio Territory and had sent Baron Descu to lead the defenses against Shirley's attack, but with Johnson's forces now seen as the greater threat, Descu was redeployed to Fort St. Frederick to meet the upcoming threat. Descu planned a attacked the British at their encampment at Fort Edward at the upper end of the Hudson River, but Johnson had strongly fortified it, and Dieskew's Indian troops were reluctant to attack there. The two forces would finally meet at the bloody Battle of Lake George between Fort Edward and Fort William Henry. Though both sides would incur heavy losses, the battle would end inconclusively, with both sides withdrawing from the field. Johnson's advance was stopped at Fort William Henley, and French forces would withdraw to Ticonderoga Points, where they would begin the construction of Fort Carrion. Colonel Montauk captured Fort Bessemois in June of 1755, which would end up being the only British success that year, cutting off the French fortress of Louisbourg from land-based reinforcements. To further cut vital supplies to Louisbourg, Nova Scotia's Governor Charles Lawrence ordered the deportation of the French-speaking Acadian population in the area. British forces, including companies of Rogers Rangers, forcibly removed thousands of Acadians, chasing down any that resisted and sometimes committing atrocities as well. The cutoff of supplies led to the demise of Lewisburg later in the war. Acadian resistance to the forced removal was sometimes quite stiff. In concert with their Indian allies, including the Mi'kmaq, they would commit ongoing raids on frontiers such as Dartmouth and Lewenburg. The only clashes of any size would be Piticurac in 1755 and Bloody Creek near Annapolis Royal in 1757. The British would also lead campaigns to expel the Acadians in the Bay of Fundy, on the Piticurac River and St. John's Rivers, and the Isle de St. John. The expulsion of the Acadians would see them settle along the eastern coast, and eventually many would make their way inland to now Louisiana. With the failures of the British campaigns in 1755, the French looked to take advantage and make moves of their own on many fronts. Following the death of General Braddock, William Shirley assumed command of the British forces in North America. He designed a new offensive and laid out his plans in 1756 at a meeting in Albany in December of 1755. He argues for renewed efforts to take Fort Niagara, Crown Point's Duquesne with attacks on Fort Fontenac on the north shore of Lake Ontario and an expedition through the wilderness of the main area down the Chaudière River to attack the city of Quebec. His plans were bogged down, though, by disagreements and disputes with others, including William Johnson and New York's governor, Sir Charles Hardy, in the end gained little support. In January of 1756, Newcastle replaced him with John Campbell, with Major General James Abercrombie as his second in command. 
Neither of them, though, had much campaign experience in contrast to the three commanders the French had sent to North America. French regular army reinforcements arrived in New France in May of 1756, led by Gen Major General Louis-Joseph Montclam and seconded by Chulibert de la Ville and Colonel Francois-Charles de Bolomac, which were all seasoned veterans of the War of Austrian Succession. On May 18, 1756, Britain formally declared war on France, which expanded the war into Europe, making it part of the Seven Years' War. The governor of New France had ambitions of becoming the French commander-in-chief, in addition to his role as governor, so he took actions during the winter of 1756 before those reinforcements arrived. French scouts had reported a weakness in the British supply lanes, so the governor ordered an attack against the forts that Shirley had erected on Oneida Carry. In the Battle of Fort Bull, French forces destroyed large quantities of supplies, including 45,000 pounds of gunpowder. This attack set back any hopes by the British for campaigns on Lake Ontario and endangered the Oswego garrison, which was already short on supplies. French forces in the Ohio Valley also continued to negotiate with Indians throughout the area, encouraging them to raid frontier settlements. This led to ongoing alarms along the settlers in the western frontier areas and a stream of refugees returning east to get away from the fighting. The new British camp command was in place until July. Abercrombie arrives in Al Albany, but refuses to make any movements without Campbell approving them. Montclam took bold action against him. He doubled down on the French governor's work harassing Oswego Garrison and executed a feint by moving his headquarters to Ticonderoga as if to press the attack along Lake George. With Abercrombie still stuck in Albany, Montclam slipped away and led let a successful attack on Oswego in August. In the aftermath of the attack, Montclam and the Indians under his command disagreed about the dispossession of prisoners' property. The Europeans did not consider them prizes and prevented the Indians from stripping the prisoners of their valuables, which angered his Indian allies. Campbell was a capable administrator, but a very cautious field commander, and he planned only one major operation for 1757, an attack on New France's capital of Quebec. He left a sizable force at Fort William Henry to distract Montclam and began organizing for Quebec. He was then ordered to attack Louisbourg by William Pitt, the Secretary of State responsible for the colonies. The expedition was met with many delays, but was finally ready to sail from Halifax, Nova Scotia in early August. In the meantime, a few French, slips were French ships were able to slip past the British blockade and were waiting for Campbell at Louisbourg and they now outnumbered the British. Seeing the strength that opposed him at Louisbourg, Campbell returned to New York. When he got there, he heard of a massacre taking place at Fort William Henry. French irregular forces, mainly Canadian scouts and Indians, harassed Fort William Henry throughout the first half of 1757. In January, they ambushed British rangers near Ticonderoga, and in February, they launched a raid against the positions across the frozen Lake George, destroying storehouses and buildings outside the main fortification. In early August, Montclam and 7,000 troops 
besieged the fort, which eventually surrendered under the terms of parole and withdrawal. When the withdrawal began, some of Montcalm's Indian allies attacked the British column because they were angry that they had lost the opportunity for loot, killing and capturing several hundred men, women, children, and slaves. It is believed by some that the aftermath of the siege might have contributed to the transmission of smallpox into the remote Indian population, as some of the Indians present at the battle were reported to have traveled from the west of the Mississippi to participate and returned afterwards, though this theory has no evidence to support it at this time. The governor of New France and Montcalm were only minimally resupplied in 1758. As the British blockade of the French coastline had greatly limited shipping, the situation in New France was made worse by a poor harvest in 1757, a difficult winter, and the allegation of corruption of Francois Bigot, the intendant of the territory. His schemes to supply the colony inflated prices and were believed by Montcalm to actually be lining the pockets of himself and his associates. A massive outbreak of smallpox among the western Indian tribes led many of them not to trade in 1758. Thoughts are that the crowded conditions of the siege of Fort William Henry were to blame for the outbreak, but the Indians blamed the French for bringing them bad medicine along with denying them prizes for the battle. The Newcastle-Pitt coalition in Parliament spelled a new era for the war. Pitt was in charge of military planning. He embarked on a plan that was designed by Campbell, who was now replaced by Abercrombie as commander-in-chief after his failures in 1757. Pitt's plan called for three major offensive actions involving large numbers of regular troops supported by provincial militias and was aimed at capturing the heartland of New France. Two of these would be successful, with Fort Duquesne and Louisbourg falling to sizable British forces. The Forbes expedition was a British campaign in September and October of 1758, with 6,000 troops led by General John Forbes sent to drive out the French from the contested Ohio country. The French withdrew from Fort Duquesne and left the British in control of the Ohio River Valley. The great French fortress of Lewisburg in Nova Scotia was captured after a 48-day siege by the British. The third invasion planned by Pitt was stopped by an improbable French victory at the Battle of Corellian, also known as Ticonderoga, in which 3,600 French defeated Abercrombie's force of 18,000 regulars, militia, and Indian allies outside of the fort. Abercrombie saved something from the defeat when he sent John Bradstreet on an expedition destroying Fort Frontenac, including supplies destined for New France's western forts and furs destined for Europe. Abercrombie was recalled and replaced by Geoffrey Amherst, the commander who took Louisbourg. The French had poor results in 1758 in most theaters of the war. The new foreign minister, Etienne Francois, decided to focus on an invasion of Britain, which never took place, but was planned to cause Britain to pull forces out of North America. The British proceeded to wage a campaign in northwest frontier of Canada, to cut off French forts to the west and to the south. They were finally able to take Fort Ticonderoga and Fort Niagara, and they, Niagara, and they defeated the French in the Battle of Thousand Islands in the summer of 1769. In September of 1759, James Wolfe defeated Montcalm at the Battle of, 
of the Plains of Abraham, which would claim the lives of both commanders. After the battle, the French capitulated the city of Quebec to the British. In April of 1760, Francois Gaston de Levis led French forces to retake Quebec, although he would win the Battle of saint Foy, or also the Battle of Quebec, which it is also called. His siege of the city would end in defeat when British ships arrived to relieve the garrison. After his retreat, the ships that were meant to resupply him were defeated when the French fleet was destroyed at Ristagoche by the British. In July, Geoffrey Ermhurst led British forces, numbering around 18,000 strong, in a three-prong attack on Montreal. After eliminating French forces along the way, all three forces met up and surrounded Montreal in September. Many Canadians deserted or surrendered their arms to the British forces while the native allies of the French sought peace and neutrality. Neutrality. De La Vie and the governor of New France signed Articles of Capitulation of Montreal on September 8th, effectively completing British conquest of New France. Most of the fighting would come to an end in America in 1760. The notable exception was the French seizure of St. John's, Newfoundland. General Armhurst heard of this surprise action and immediately dispatched troops under his nephew, William Amherst, who regained control of the Newfoundland after the Battle of Signal Hill in September 1762. Many of the British troops who were stationed in America were reassigned to participate in further British actions in the West Indies, including the capture of Spanish Havana in 1762, after the Spanish had entered the war late on the side of French, and the British expedition against French Martinique in 1762, led by General Robert Moncton. The governor of New France in Montreal negotiated a capitulation with General Amherst in 1760. Amherst granted French requests that French residents who chose to remain in the colony would be given freedom to continue worshipping in their Roman Catholic tradition, to own property, and to remain undisturbed in their homes. The British provided medical treatment for the sick and wounded French soldiers, and the French regular troops were returned to France aboard British ships with the agreement that they would not serve again in the present war. General Amherst also oversaw the transition of French forts to British control in the western lands. The policies which he would introduce in those lands disturbed large amounts of Indians and contributed to Pontiac's rebellion in 1763. Series of attacks by Indians on frontier forts and settlements required a continued deployment of British troops and was not resolved until 1766. The war in North America, along with the Global Seven Years' War, officially ended with the signing of the Treaty of Paris in 1763 by the kingdoms of Great Britain, France, and Spain with Portugal in agreement. The British offered the French the choice of surrendering either their continental North America possessions east of the Mississippi or the Caribbean islands of Guadalupe and Martinique, which were occupied by the British at the time. French chose to give up its lands in mainland continent, with the exception of two small islands in the Gulf of St. Lawrence and fishing rights in the area. The French believed that the economic benefit was greater from the sugarcane fields of the Caribbean than that of the fur trade. The British were happy to take New France, believing that their colonies in North America would no longer be in danger.
though many colonists also thought that they no longer needed British protection because of this. Britain also had many places for it to get sugar from. Spain would trade Florida to Britain for the return of Cuba, but would also receive Louisiana from France, including New Orleans, in compensation for its losses. Great Britain and Spain agreed that navigation on the Mississippi River was open to all vessels of all nations. The war changed economical and political, governmental, and social relations among the three European powers, their colonies, and the people who inhabited them in those territories. France and Britain both suffered financially because of the war, with significant long-term consequences. Britain gained control of French Canada and Acadia, colonies containing approximately 80,000 primarily French-speaking Roman Catholic residents. The deportation of Acadians beginning in 1755 made land available to immigrants from Europe and migrants from the colonies to the south. The British resettled many Acadians throughout the American providences, but many went to France and some went to New Orleans, which they expected to remain French. Some were sent to colonize places as diverse as French Guiana and the Falkland Islands, but those efforts were unsuccessful. The Louisiana population contributed to founding the Cajun population. King George III issued the Royal Proclamation of 1763 on October 7, 1763, which outlined the division and administration of the newly conquered territory, and it continues to govern relations to some extent between the government of Canada and the First Nations, including in its provisions was the reservation of a lands west of the Appalachian Mountains to its Indian population a demarcation that was only a temporary impediment to a rising tide of westward-bound settlers. The proclamation also contained provisions that prevented civic participation by the Roman Catholic Canadians. The Quebec Act of 1774 addressed issues brought forth by Roman Catholic French Canadians from the 1763 proclamation, and it transferred the Indian Reserve into the province of Quebec. The act maintained French civil law, which the single system and medieval code removed from France within a year by the French Revolution. The Quebec Act was a major concern for the largely Protestant 13 colonies over the advance of popery. It was typically associated with other intolerable acts, legislation that eventually led to the American Revolutionary War. The Quebec Act served as a constitutional document for the province of Quebec until it was superseded by the Constitutional Act of 1791. The Seven Years' War nearly doubled France and Great Britain's national debt. The Crown sought sources of revenue to pay it off and attempted to impose new taxes on its colonies. These attempts were met with increasingly stiff resistance and troops were called to enforce the Crown's authority and they immediately led to the start of the American Revolutionary War. France attached comparatively little value to its American possessions, apart from the highly profitable sugar-producing Antilles Islands which it retained. Minister Chazelle considered that he had made a good deal at the Treaty of Paris, and Voltaire wrote that Louis XV had lost a few acres of snow. However, the military defeat and the financial burden of the war weakened the French monarchy and contributed to the advent of the French Revolution in 1789. The elimination of French power in America meant the disappearance of a strong ally for some Indian tribes. The Ohio country was now more available 
to colonial settlement due to the construction of military roads by Braddock and Forbes. The Spanish takeover of Louisiana territory was not completed until 1769, and it had modest repercussions. The British takeover of Spanish Florida resulted in the westward migration of Indian tribes who did not want to do business with them. The migration also caused a rise in tensions between the Choctaw and the Creek, historic enemies who were competing for land. The change in control of Florida also prompted most of the Spanish Catholic population to leave. Most went to Cuba, although some Christianized Yamasi were resettled to the coast of Mexico. Thank you for tuning in this time, and I hope you enjoyed this second part of the French and Indian War. As you can see, this conflict had long-lasting impressions on North America. Uh, it directly results in the Revolutionary War because of the financial burdens of Great Britain, Britain on its colonists, and it gives many of those who need training training for the American Revolution. You have such George Washington, he comes back and he goes against Gates, but that's a whole other story. But this is where he gets his feet wet. Thank you for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on the French and Indian War, Part 2. As you can see, this is a major contributing factor to how the world went forward in North America, mainly the colonies and their strive for independence in the years to come. Please uh, take a look at our Facebook page at the History Desk. Give us a like. We will be posting book recommendations there. We will have maps. Uh, we'll have some extra things. We'll keep a discussion going over there if you want to talk about it. If you would like to support the podcast, we our Patreon will be in our show notes, and we will greatly appreciate any support. Any support given will go directly to in improving audio equipment, auditing files, things of that nature. So until next time, never stop learning. Always read. And if you have any questions, shoot us a text message on Facebook, and we'll be able to answer any of those. Bye, everybody.